0: Welcome back to the Listener's Commentary on the New Testament. If you haven't had a chance to subscribe over at listenerscommentary.com, I would encourage you to do so. That way you'll get updates when I release new volumes or even just new episodes within a volume. Not only that, I'll occasionally send out additional resources that way, and I'm beginning to create a online community around these resources where people can ask questions about their Bible study and as they work through the commentary and their Bible, they have access to kind of discuss with me some of those things that they're wrestling with or some of the things they didn't understand from the commentary. So swing over to listenerscommentary.com, put your name and email address in, and that'll add you to the list so that I can give you those updates and invite you to discussion times when I host those. All right, let's jump into this session. Okay, welcome back to part two of 2 Thessalonians, chapter two, verses one through 12, this really difficult, challenging passage concerning the man of lawlessness. In part one, we looked specifically at verses one through five, and in this session, we'll be looking at verses six through 12. And to review where we're at in the discussion, in verses one through five, Paul introduces the topic, verses one and two, sets up the topic. And the topic is really the timing of the the day of the Lord. And the Thessalonians are confused about that because of some sort of message they have received as to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. After Paul sets up the topic in verses 1 and 2, then in verses 3 and 4, he gives the reason why the day of the Lord couldn't have come yet. And the reason he gives is... Because the man of lawlessness has not been revealed. And remember, we said revealed doesn't mean become active. Revealed means be be unveiled or disclosed. And so because uh, the man of lawlessness is still hidden, uh, the day of the Lord couldn't have come yet. And then in verse 5, Paul simply says, don't you remember I, I was teaching you things while I was with you? And for us, we don't have access to that teaching, hence the reason we're a bit confused. So that's where we left off, all right? Topic, basic reason why the day of the Lord couldn't have happened yet, and a reminder that Paul already taught them these things while he was with them. Now where we pick up in this session is at that point in verse 6, where Paul then goes on, based on what he taught them when he was with them, he goes on to just highlight a few more details about the revealing of the man of lawlessness. And as we proceed into verses 6 and following, we just need to be aware that there are a couple kind of technical detail translation issues that really affect our understanding of the text. Some are interpretive decisions made by modern-day translators of various texts that seem maybe a little off-base or far-fetched or are built on assumptions that are illegitimate. Others are about specific words and exactly how to understand them, all right? So just be prepared as we walk down through this section for a handful of details that will uh, really affect the way we read this text, all right? Also, before we look at the details, um, we should note the way the first few verses kind of function together. Verse six states sort of a basic point and then verse 7 and verse 8 explain that basic point. In fact, the way it seems to work is verse 7 explains the first half of verse 6, and verse 8 explains the second half of verse 6, or at least gives more details to the second half of verse 6, all right? So that's that's the way it works, all right? So these verses go very tightly together, and... I'm going to read them as they are, and then we're going to go back and try to sort out some of the details. So let me read you verses 6, 7, and 8, and then we'll go back and hit the details. It says this, And you know what restrains him now, so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will do so until he is removed. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will eliminate by the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. So this tightly woven little package all goes together, and it's obviously not immediately clear to us. And Again, we're missing out on some of the details, but I also think some of the translation issues here don't really help. So let's jump in. Verse 6 says, and you know what restrains him now. First thing I want to point out is that word now at the end of that clause probably should be at the front of the sentence. That's where it is in Greek. Um, It's at the front of the sentence, and I think the way it's functioning is to say, because I was teaching you these things when I was with you, now you know some things that you didn't know before and that other people don't know who don't know Jesus and what I taught you. And so, Uh, move that now to the front of verse six. And it says, and now you know, and now you know, because I taught you what he said in verse five, because I was teaching you these things, right? You know some things. And now here's what you know. You know what restrains him. All right, we've got to do some work there. This is that word that needs some translation help. Translated here in the New American Standard and many other translations as restrains. You know what restrains. The problem is that this particular Greek word is only translated restrains when there's a direct object for it. And so if you look closely at the New American Standard version that I'm reading out of, it's translated restrains, and it says, you know what restrains him. And that him is a direct object. But it's italicized in the New American Standard, and the reason they do that in the NASV is to say, well, that word's not really in the Greek. We've stuck it in there. In other words, they have supplied a direct object to make sense out of their translation. Well, if we recognize that, then let's say, all right, there's no direct object in the Greek language. How then should we understand this word? Well, this particular word that's translated here restrains when there's no direct object the basic meaning of it is prevails because prevails doesn't need a direct object and so this this is the way words work words have a range of meanings depending on the other words they are used with right that's just the way words work so the word rose for example in english depending on the other words it's used with it could mean a flower rose or it could mean Get up, I rose late this morning, right? And it all depends on the context and the other words it's used with. That's just the way the words work. Well, this particular word um, probably should be translated prevails here, not restrains, because there is no direct object. And every time this word is used without a direct object, that's kind of the, the sense of it is prevails. So let's read it that way. And now you know what prevails. All right, that makes sense. You know what prevails. Because I was teaching you things, you you know what prevails. And then the second half of verse 6 says, so that he will be revealed in his time. And so you know what prevails, so that he will be revealed in his time. And in the context, we know what we're talking about with the revealing, the man of lawlessness being revealed. So you know, you now know what prevails, so that at the appropriate time, He will be revealed. He will be disclosed or unveiled. Then verse 7 explains the first half of verse 6. And verse 8 then explains the revealing part of verse 6, the second half of verse 6. So verse 7 picks up with 4 explaining, explaining this whole thing. 4, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Presumably, this is what prevails. When we understand this as explaining verse 6, we're realizing, oh, he's explaining what prevails. You now know what prevails so that he will be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already working. That's what the first half of verse 7 says. In other words, even though the man of lawlessness has not been unveiled, the mystery of lawlessness is already working. And in fact, in verse 7 The emphasis lies on the word mystery, that lawlessness at present is hidden behind the scenes. It's a bit of a mystery because the word mystery shows up at the front of the sentence. That was a way to emphasize uh, a word in the Greek language was to move the word towards the front. And so the emphasis is on mystery here, that lawlessness uh, already at work in the world is presently a mystery. But you know that, you know that now that you've come into Christ, unbelievers, those who don't know God, they're they're deceived. They're blinded by lawlessness, right? They're blinded so that they can't um, believe the truth. They're blinded by the work of the evil one. And for them, lawlessness is a mystery, but not for you. You now know these things. You know what prevails, that lawlessness currently prevails in the world. It's already at work. Um, now, the second half of verse seven is a little challenging as well, because again, there's no main verb in the second half of verse 7, so we have to infer it. So it reads like this in the New American Standard. For the mystery mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is removed. All right, let's sort that out. We already talked about the restrain thing being better translated prevail. The the difference is, however, in verse 6, it's a thing. What restrains in 7 it's he who restrains, it's, it's masculine in Greek, so it's a person now, and it doesn't really matter one way or the other. It's not a huge deal, um, because when we keep reading what he's talking about, I think we get a sense of what he means by this. So let's not worry about that, let's just make sure we read it as prevail. So the mystery of lawlessness is already working, only the one prevailing will do so until he's removed. That's the way the New American Standard would translate it if they translated restrain as prevail, which is the way it should be translated by common usage. But let me suggest a different way to understand it. The word until, according to some Greek grammars in this construction, should be moved forward to the front. And then we would do what we do in every other Greek sentence where we don't have a a main verb. We just supply the verb is, which is very common in Greek language. Leave that verb out. Just infer that. That's pretty standard in Greek. And then this clause, the second half of verse 7 would read, only until the one prevailing is taken out of the way or is removed. So now you put the whole sentence together in verse seven, and it makes more sense. For the mystery of lawlessness is already working only until the one prevailing is removed. And so explaining the first half of verse six, what this is telling us is it's telling us something about the, the prevailing one, that which prevai- prevails, or that he who prevails right now. The mystery of lawlessness is already working, and it will keep working only until the prevailer is removed. So that clarifies or adds some details to the first half of verse 6. You know what prevails now. Uh, Verse 8 then provides some details on the second half of verse 6, so that he, the man of lawlessness, will be revealed in his time. And so verse 8 says, and then that lawless one, the man of lawlessness, and then that lawless one will be revealed. He'll be disclosed. Here's the way I understand it. And again, this is a difficult text. There are various views on it. But the way I understand what Paul seems to be saying to the Thessalonians, and then by extension to us, is this. That right now, lawlessness is prevailing as a mystery, and it's going to do so all the way up until... The man of lawlessness is disclosed. In other words, the one who stands behind lawlessness, namely Satan himself. I think that's what he's getting at here, is that right now, at present in the world, lawlessness is already working. It's already a bit of a mystery, uh, and we don't, people don't understand what stands behind lawlessness, but we do, who have come to Christ and who know the truth. We know that standing behind that one is the lawless one himself. And lawlessness is going to do this. It's going to prevail, clear up until the end when finally the prevailer is removed, i.e. the lawless one who will be revealed. And then notice what he says in verse 8, whom the Lord will eliminate with the breath of his mouth And bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. And so how is the lawless one going to be removed? How is the prevailer going to be removed? Well, he's going to be removed when the lawless one is revealed. Also note there in verse 8 that when the lawless one is revealed, he doesn't have more activity. Again, I think that's a misunderstanding of the text. It's very obvious. This isn't even a confusing part of the text. In Probably the predominant view of the man of lawlessness, seeing him as some great climactic antichrist figure, um, it's understood that when he's revealed, that means he comes on the scene, he gets active, he gains power, and he does his work. But that's not the way it's worded here in the text. When the lawless one is revealed, he's eliminated um, and destroyed by the appearance of Jesus coming. And so it's not like he's revealed, he, you know, wreaks havoc for a period of time and then he's destroyed. It's He's revealed and he's destroyed according to the text. And so that is when the one who prevails, i.e. the lawless one, will be eliminated and brought to an end. And so to summarize verse 6, 7, and 8, what Paul says here is he says, now, because of my teaching, you know what prevails, and what prevails currently is lawlessness uh, and the lawless one. It's just not obvious who that is. It's a mystery, but he will be revealed in his time. And when he's revealed, the Lord will eliminate him and bring him to an end. That's the point, it seems, of verses 6, 7, and 8. Verse 9 then gives a further Description of the lawless one and just comes out and says that the lawless one is animated by Satan, that his work is in keeping with the work of Satan, or it is an expression of the work of Satan. This is what he says in verse 9. So the lawless one will be eliminated by Jesus at the appearance of Jesus' coming. That is the one who's coming is in accord with the activity of Satan with all powers and false signs and wonders and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they didn't accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. And so the lawless one, his coming, is according to the activity of Satan. Let's just clarify that in view of the context. First off, that word coming uh, is um, probably used here in verse 9 as a parody of or an echo of the word coming at the end of verse 8, referring to Jesus coming. It's the word parousia, and it refers to Jesus' presence or Jesus' appearing uh, on the final day. Um, here, it's saying the lawless one's coming or presence or appearing is in accordance with the activity of Satan. Um if you're reading the NIV, they make a massive interpretive assumption that is very confusing, I think, for what the text is actually saying. They they put a future verb in verse 9. Uh, they say, will be according to the activity of Satan. Uh, but again, there is no future verb. There's a present tense verb. There's actually, in this one, we don't have to supply it. There's a present tense to be verb. It's the verb is. In other words... He he's assuming that his appearing is presently according with the activity of Satan. And so the lawless one seems to be the way the phrase Paul is using for the present activity of Satan in the world that is hidden. It's a mystery, right? The mystery of lawlessness, and yet standing behind it, is Satan himself. This seems to be the same picture that the Apostle John paints in Revelation chapter 12 and 13. Again, another difficult text, but you have the dragon named Satan in Revelation 12 who goes off to make war against the followers of the lamb and he does so by calling two beasts in Revelation 13 two beasts, one out of the earth, one out of the sea, and these two beasts then go forth to deceive. And in the context of Revelation, it seems pretty clear that those two beasts represent anti-God government and anti-God religion combined particularly together and um, working as co-conspirators, henchmen with the dragon, with the devil. That seems to be kind of a picture that Paul is painting here, is that lawlessness is already at work in the world. It's a mystery now, but the one who actually stands behind this lawlessness is Satan himself. And someday, the whole world will know that. Someday, the curtain will be pulled back, and he will be revealed for who he is, and then he will be eliminated and brought to an end by Jesus when he comes. So back to verse 9 then, what he's saying is the lawless one, that's where it begins, the lawless one's coming, presence, think of the word presence or appearing, appearance, is in accord with the activity, the operation, the work of Satan uh, with all power, false signs, and wonders. And this is nothing new. We've seen throughout the biblical story, clear back with the Exodus and uh, the the false signs and wonders of Pharaoh's henchmen there in the Exodus, right? All the way through the biblical stories that false prophets and false workers have sought to work false miracles and false signs, and they do so by the the power of Satan. And that's what Paul is saying here. And not only is this one's uh, appearance According to the work of Satan, he, he is also uh, present and at work with all the deception of wickedness. Notice that, that wickedness is deceitful. Wickedness is a liar. It pr- uh, promises things it can't deliver. So with all the deception of wickedness for those who are perishing. Again, common in Paul's writings in the Corinthian letters, he talks about the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving so that they don't believe the truth, and are saved, right? And so that's the same idea here, um, that wickedness uh, of the mystery of lawlessness is already working in the world, and it's deceptive. It's a deception of wickedness for those who are perishing. But they're not like helpless victims. Notice what Paul says in verse 10, because they did not accept the love of the truth so as to be saved. And so it's not as if they're uh, helpless victims in this, They rejected the truth. They did not love the truth. And that is why the deception of wickedness is so powerful for them, because they preferred lies, falsehood, untruths, half-truths over the truth. They didn't love the truth so as to be saved. Verse 11 and 12 then goes on and says, For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. In order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. Again, this is a very common biblical theme that if people reject the truth and reject God and they prefer lies and falsehood and wickedness, God in his justice will eventually just give them what they want. Fine, you want that, you can have that. And God does that always hoping that they will repent. But he hands them over. You see this in Romans chapter 1. Three times in Romans 1, it says God handed them over, God handed them over, God handed them over. And there in Romans 1, it's clearly an, an expression of God's wrath, his just repayment for wrongdoing. And the same thing is here. They didn't love the truth. Um, they preferred the deception of wickedness. So God sends on them a deluding influence. In other words, a, uh, a spirit of delusion, a spirit of self-deception, if you will, So that they'll believe what is false. You like falsehood? You like wickedness? You like lies? Okay, I'll hand you over to that in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth. And so because they didn't believe the truth, because they didn't love the truth, uh, they preferred lies, they were given more lies, and because they took pleasure in wickedness. Notice that. Not only did they not love the truth, they actually took pleasure in its opposite. They took pleasure in falsehood and wickedness and evil and rebellion, and as a result... They are judged for it. All right, well, that's a lot of stuff, okay? In the last two sessions, we walked through one of the more difficult passages in Paul's letter. I tried to clarify a few details as I best understand them. I hope that was helpful to you, but that was a lot, uh, and I recognize that. There's a lot of details in there, so you may need to actually read back through the text, go back and listen to these last two recordings a couple times, process it, and um, and see what you see. In fact, I would love to hear some of your questions on uh, this particular passage after listening to the commentary and working through the text to see if uh, you could help me clarify some things and I could help you clarify some things even more. But before we leave it here, let me just make sure we we don't miss the main point. Uh, And so to step back big picture, Remember that this whole man of lawlessness passage is set up by the Thessalonians being confused about the timing of the Lord's coming. And what Paul is saying to them is, no, you should know that the day of the Lord couldn't have happened yet because lawlessness is still prevailing in the world and the man of lawlessness has not been revealed for who he really is, namely Satan himself. That's the way I understand the text. And so the point being that when, when Jesus comes, when the day of the Lord happens, lawlessness will be removed. The one standing behind lawlessness, Satan himself, will be seen for who he is and will be eliminated and destroyed by the judgment that Jesus brings. And so as long as lawlessness prevails in this world, it's obvious that the day of the Lord has not come. And that's the point of this passage, as I best understand it. And by way of kind of concluding reflection, what I would encourage us to reflect on out of this text, in spite of all the difficulties, is the reality of wickedness, lawlessness, and an archenemy of God who stands behind all of that. That this world is a battleground, not a playground. And that we have to love the truth so as to be saved. And so as we read this text and reflect upon it, I pray that it will help us realize we're living in a time and place. And in uh, the map of salvation history where uh, lawlessness is already at work. And uh, being faithful to Jesus requires courage, tenacity, and a love of the truth. Um, where there are people in this world who don't love the truth and where lawlessness is at work and wickedness is at work in and through the systems of this world. And recognizing that and recognizing that prevails will help us not be overwhelmed by it, will not be overly discouraged by it, and recognizing that there's an endpoint to it when Jesus comes will give us courage to be faithful in the face of it all because, as I noted already, this world is not a playground. It's a battleground, and there is an arch enemy of God at work in this world who wants to destroy uh, God's people and destroy God's good world. We who know Jesus, we know this, and thus we can be faithful until the final day when Jesus does come, and wickedness and evil, the lawless one, and Satan himself will be eliminated and removed once and for all. Hey, it's John, and I just want to say once again, if you haven't subscribed to the Listener's Commentary, swing over to listenerscommentary.com and sign up right there for updates and invites to online discussions. And also, just a reminder that the Listener's Commentary is hours and hours of free content and years and years of study and teaching of the Bible made possible by the generous donations of people just like you. So thank you to each person that gives. And if you want to join the team so that this ministry can continue to grow and expand and more people can learn and live the Bible through the Listener's Commentary, then again, swing over to listenerscommentary.com Click the Give link and you can sign up for a one-time or a monthly donation there. Thanks a ton. God bless.